Good afternoon. Here we are on the All Walks of Art. I don't want to say afternoon because you're probably not even listening to it in the afternoon. Maybe you're listening to it at night. You're one of us, the night walkers. You know, the people who live at night. This is getting weird real fast. Paul, it's What's good that? to have you back. Man, it's good to be back. You know, we we missed a week. I had some plans and, uh, you know, life gets in the way. Distractions get in the way and things kind of, you know, fall apart. Um, that's kind of my fault. I should probably have some podcast in the bank, so to speak, to put out there. And I, I could have probably talked for an hour. I'm a talkative kind of guy, but I didn't want to bore our listeners. We'll do that. We'll crank a couple out. That way we'll have one on deck. We'll have some special things. Yeah, yeah, when yeah, yeah. When we're out making art and can't be in here. Hey, do you know what today is? It's the day before my birthday. Yes, <laughs> that's right. How old are you going to be? Can we say? Are yeah. we allowed to say? You're yeah. not a woman, so it doesn't really matter. How do you know? Don't, did don't. you just assign a gender to me? You do look pretty with your haircut. I do. <laughs> I'm going to be 45 tomorrow. 45 years yep. old. 45. That's a lot. 45. But it's there's something else going on today besides 45. just my birthday. I can't get over 45. I know. That's, you just keep talking. I'm like, wow. 45. It's. I never thought it'd be. I never thought I'd make it past 25. Yeah. It's impressive. You know, you're almost half a century year old. I know. Wow. All right. It's well, neat. Yeah, I wanna I wanna talk about a few things. I mean, your birthday's awesome. It really is. And I'm not trying to get off the birthday subject. Can you hear that? But I, that's like ASMR. Huh. That is neat. That's that is for those of you who can't see, you're missing out. That's Paul rubbing his head. He literally shaved his head. Now, before this, Paul had hair down to his ass crack. At and, one point, yes. Yeah. And it was uh he was kind of like a a uh, hillbilly Gandalf. It was awesome. <laughs> Especially yeah, when I was blonde, I got that a lot. Hillbilly Gandalf. That's good. I'm not even offended. No, no, you shouldn't be. Gandalf. Gandalf is cool, and hillbillies are cool. So there you, you know, go. Everybody else can just suck it. Yeah, it was, but then I was getting a, I was getting a haircut whether I wanted to or not. Yeah, I was falling yeah. out. So. Well, I, I really, I'm, I'm happy to be back doing this. I feel more comfortable in front of the camera than I do in front of the mic. And lately I'm feeling more comfortable in front of the mic instead of the camera. And it's, it's an amazing, amazing thing. So today it is national beer day. As oh. we're, we're recording this, you're going to listen to this probably on Thursday. If you're, if you're one of those who follow right away. And you which, missed it. Yeah. Yeah. So sorry, <laughs> but you can have a beer with us anyway. Cause that's what we like to do here. We like for you to not feel like you're drinking alone when you're listening to us. Now, if you're listening to it in the car, please, you know, oh goodness, don't yes, do yes. that. But a little history for you here. We'll get we'll get into the the topics, the meat of this here podcast. Just as soon as I get a couple things out of the way, I, I'm you know I'm a nerd like that. I'm like Cliffy from Cheers. I just got to add nonsense that's good <laughs> that's good and, and that's uh that's kind of apt yeah 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 it's yeah i'm not a postal worker but but you might as you, well be you can't be postal <laughs> yeah yes yes i can uh national beer day is celebrated in the united states every year on april 7th hmm. making the day that the colin harrison act was enacted after having been signed into law by do you know who uh, James K. Polk. Oh, you're so close. Not really. <laughs> no, that's way far away. Um, <laughs> Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On uh, March 22nd, 1933. You were old then. <laughs> yeah. You were born then, right? Uh, you would think. Yeah, that, 45 years old. It's not. <laughs> it would have been cool. Though, it'd be, be close, back then. Yeah. 
Um, this led to the 18th Amendment being repealed on December 5th, uh, 1933, which is what we call repeal day. So it's another opportunity to drink whatever you want. Um, and the ratification of the 21st Amendment to the United States Constitution was done. Yeah. So if you have 21st Amendment beer in hand, that would be the most appropriate beer to be drinking on April 7th. We don't have that. And though. December 5th. I, You know, I haven't found it for a while. I, it, I've been looking That's around for it. an actual thing? It is. It is. Well, I, what is it? Like uh, it's made, it's like it was back then or? No, no, no. Nothing it's just like called that. that. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, we can just call this what no one's looking. I mean, we can say we're. <laughs> I can't do I can't do that. Sean O'Sullivan might be listening. He's the brewmaster. No, he's not. He's probably not really listening. I've met him once. We, uh, well, why, why wouldn't he be listening? We, we did a, a thing back when I was doing the Thirsty Muse. I flew out to San Francisco and hung out at the brewery and we talked for a while and it was fun. That's cool. Yeah. I wish, uh, I wish I could find more of their beer here. They have a uh, Heller High Watermelon is one of them. It's a watermelon infused uh, ale. It's actually really good. The, really? Yeah. It's not real heavy on the watermelon. It's, it's really, it's heavy on the beer side. Light touch. Perfect, perfect amount, really. Do they make anything like that out of strawberries? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just, you just. They don't. I think, don't know if no, they I do. Mean, but they, the, the royal, they. Yeah, you know? yeah. The beers. I never really thought up. about that till now. You know, I yeah, know they do citrus and. Yeah, yeah. Huh. yeah it's really good. Um, in, in fact, they have one called Brew Free or Die IPA. I really love that beer. It is probably one of my favorite ales, uh, IPA. And, and this show isn't about beer. So, I mean, we probably seems, ought to move like on. You know? But yeah, but happy, cool. happy National Beer Day to those of you drinking Sunday as as we're recording this. Uh, we'll, I'll, I'll put this out Thursday, provided my life doesn't get in the way again. What a weird thing to, to outlaw across the board. Oh, yeah. Isn't it? You know? I mean, other it? countries didn't have it. So, I mean, you know, when you grab a Guinness, people say, well, it's not craft beer. Well, yeah, it is. It, they Really? Ireland didn't have prohibition like we did. So they don't, you know, they didn't lose that, that moment of time when all the beer really started getting terrible. And then it came back, it had to be really low alcohol content. And right. You know, it just, it took us years to get back to where we are today. Now it's just, you know, it's fun. The craft of it to me, artistically speaking is uh, fantastic. It really is. So, uh, Let's move on. Are we drinking now? I mean, we, yeah, we yeah. got this build up. You know what? That's a, I'm so glad you did. I was almost ready to skip over it and go into something else. I don't even like drinking beer, but I'm going to because it's <laughs> National right. Beer Day. All right. So I've been told. I got a couple beers here. Uh, 50 West Brewery. Um, they are based in Cincinnati. They've been around since I think 2012. Don't quote me on that, but I, I do believe that's it. Uh, I discovered him. I was at Mad Tree Brewing in Cincinnati and uh, a gentleman there at the bar said, Hey, you got to try these guys out too, since you're heading that way. So I did, I like them and, uh, just found out recently they're putting a brew pub right here, downtown Chillicothe. Are you excited? I'm very excited. Uh, it'll be in the old Huntington bank building. I I think it's Huntington. I think it was hunting the the one right there across from the Carlisle building. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So, wow. That, yeah. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not even like feigning excitement because it's not yeah. like I'm going to drink in there, but are well, they going to have food? Oh yeah. Yeah. I like food. Yeah. They, their food is fantastic at the other place. So I'm sure they'll, that'd they'll be the a cool here. spot, man. That's a, our downtown area is just 
Yeah. Really getting cool. Yeah. It's, that's going to be so much fun. So the one I've got with me today is a white ale. Uh, it, it still comes out yellow, but <laughs> they call it a white ale. Why? Right? Why uh, do they call it a white, Mike? I, you know, that's a stumping question because I have not looked into that. Um, really? You're, yeah, you're the beer guy. Yeah, I, I, mean, don't, I don't really know. I'll leave that up to the listeners. Well, yeah, I'll give you a little bit of it and see if you like it. And then, I won't, but I'm uh, going to drink it. It's called Doom Petal. Oh, it sounds good. Doom Petal. I like that. Let me say it better. Doom, Doom Petal. So, yeah, it's it's cool. It's in a really um, pretty can. <laughs> are you, you going to put pictures up? No. Can we? You're not going to put no, pictures no. up? No, They just got to listen. They got to imagine. Use your brain <laughs> and listen. Would you look at that? Oh, that sounds good. That that does sound good. I'm going to pour it wrong because I'm going to do it with my left hand. Why the glass is just kind of there. So this this is a doom pedal. I wish you all could see this. It it is a uh, lemony color. Yeah, it's, I was. It's a little champagne-y, isn't it? Yeah, me? that it does kind of look like champagne. Uh, not not bubbly like right. that, but you know. Give it a shot. See what you think of that before we get too, too involved into this podcast. Um, if you're listening right now and you're thinking to yourself, well, I turn this on because of creativity and, you know, art and all that stuff. Just, just remember the idea of this podcast is really about kind of a lounge type of a situation where we just kind of get together and talk about art and, you know, have a, have a couple of tasty beverages over it. So that's why we're doing this. And it's National Beer Day. Be kind of stupid not to enjoy. I think. I really don't know what I think about that because, like, I I really hate beer. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's and distinct. I hate this the least I think of all the beers I've ever had. Really? Yeah. Let me try. It. Let me take another drink here. I could drink that. I think if I had yeah, to. It's, it's a. Kind of have a, a a Belgian flavor to it to me, and maybe that's where the name comes from. I don't know the style. I, I drank this. I should have looked that up. Now I feel like an idiot. The thirsty muse no more. <laughs> it's just slacking. I know we all make mistakes. Yeah, we, I, we all hit a wrong I, note. You know what I do anymore? I drink for fun. I, I don't drink for work anymore. I used to. I mean, my other making ends meet. Makes me drink more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, believe me. <laughs> but uh, let me set the stage. It's really cozy in here. And my friend, um, we'll call him Metal for Breakfast on Twitter, uh, at Metal for Breakfast, uh, brought up a question. I, I, I went out to the internet and I said, hey, you know, you guys have any ideas for topics today? We're going to record in a couple hours. I'd like to off the cuff, just come up with something. So he said, uh, finding and defining the zone and creating a personal space to help foster creativity. And he threw the metal horns on the little emoji metal horns, which is cool. I like him. Um, what do you think? I, What's I, your thoughts on that, that? That's a, it's, it's an important subject because uh, when he, when he, when he put in quotations, the zone, I think, there's a little bit of mental state there, but there's also some physical state that has to be looked at as well. I know that when uh, when my children were little, it was hard for me to have a space dedicated to making art. I didn't have a spare bedroom. I didn't have a spare place in the house, really. The basement was 
really where I had to make stuff because it was the only place I could put a little corner. Uh, but it was my space. It's kind of my little home uh, to to make art. Um, it wasn't a great space. It worked. Uh, a lot of the artwork I've sold over the years came out of that little space. Uh, my new space, this this temporary um, or this spare bedroom, I should say, has turned into something I really I enjoy it. I actually find myself thinking it'd be really hard to move into a large studio because it'd just be too big. I like the coziness of this 144 square foot room. I don't know how many square meters that is. Sorry. Um, probably 12, 12 yeah, square sure. meters. I think I so. I, I think you know. nailed it. I couldn't tell you if you put a gun in my head. Um, I, I guess I could ask Siri, but I don't really want to. She's, she's, she's asleep. asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Jinx. Yeah. Take a drink. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think whenever you have distractions, that can play a big part in you not being able to create. So having a space dedicated for your work is important. No uh, doubt. You know, help me for a minute on the musical side. Can Are you one that can just pick up your guitar and sit on the couch? Well, I do a lot of my writing there, but it's important to have a guitar or bass, you know, at arm's reach. You know, I can I can get up and walk three steps. I got a bass or I got a, a guitar. I can work something out. Mm-hmm. Um, I might hear something on TV or a, a lot of times like a movie soundtrack. Something uh, I'll hear two chords or something together, and it's like, oh wow! And it might spark. Uh, well, I wonder if there was vocals on that. What it would sound like? And then you know that can yeah. inspire you. But if I got to go downstairs or into the other room and get a guitar and find a tuner, I can't I can't grasp that moment. Yeah, you kind of um, lose it, maybe. Yeah, the, just the you're, you're out of the. You snuff out the spark. Yeah, it's the same know. way. If, if my recording uh, stuff in, in my studio and isn't set up and ready to go, I'll go down, and get it all ready, turn it on, get it plugged in, get all my chords in, spend twenty minutes doing that. Now I'm I'm out of the mood, man. I just don't I just don't want to even sit there with an instrument. If if it's if I've done all that, it's mm-hmm. just like it sucks the life out of me. Can't create anything. Yeah. But if I go down there, my workspace is ready to go and everything's working like it's supposed to. And I just turn it on. I can start jamming and, you know, it it doesn't slow down my vibe. And I'm a very vibe oriented person. If if the vibe's off, I can't I can't make myself create something a lot of times. You know, You, you can if you get to a certain point and you're stumped, that's one thing you can work through that hump. But if you're just sitting down to a blank canvas and you're going to create some music, it, I can't have any obstructions or I'm dead in the water. That, that's just me personally. Yeah. And so you're easily distracted in your... I'm easily distracted by annoyances, you know, and any kind of any kind of little bump in a row just throws me yeah. clear off my like game. something came in the mail or the phone rang or just, you know, I, well, I can overcome that, but it's mostly like technical difficulty. If I'm starting to fight my instrument, if I'm fighting yeah. a computer, yeah, I can fight, you know, uh, n- noises going on outside or, uh, somebody knocking on the door. I can, I can tune that out, that kind of stuff. But yeah. if, if I'm trying to do something and, and, you know, now my, the, one of the pots on my base is crackling and yeah. that's, bothering now windows has crashed and it's yeah. it's all i just turn it off it's just time i got to get away from because nothing is going to happen I'm yeah yeah when you're, when you're when your technology is falling apart on you right is really that's really yeah i'm the same way yeah 
Um, I don't really, you know, obviously when I'm painting, uh, technology really isn't an issue because it's, you know, oil paint and uh, canvas and all that jazz. But uh, I've recently gotten back into doing some digital work, digital illustration. And I've seen that. Uh, I'm the same way. If the, if the brushes don't feel right, if uh, the atmosphere is not right, it's just not fun. And I, I found myself, one of the reasons I moved you know, this space around, you, you commented when you walked in today, how it's changed a bit. Um, I really hate facing a wall at my desk. I, I really do. It's like, it feels like I'm at work. Yeah. You know, I'm in a cubicle or I'm facing a wall. It's just, it's annoying. I like looking out into the room. Uh, I'm a visual person. So if I look around my space and I see a painting here and a painting there, a book over here, you know, whatever, um, it's more inspiring to me to just be in my space and make art. Uh, I also clean my desk every night now. I didn't used to. I used to have my hard drives up here. I had my uh, my notes up here. I had my little book up here. I had the the soundboard that we use for this recording is uh, is living on here all the time, you know. So I have a really small desk. It's twenty four inches by forty eight inches, and. I just come to the conclusion I work on a laptop all the time anyway. It's always in my bag. I take it with me everywhere I go. So why not just clean the desk when I'm done? You know, why does all this stuff have to be out? And after a couple of weeks of doing it like this, having the desk clean every night before I leave the studio space, I know that when I walk in, it's a clean slate. There's no distractions. There's nothing that's going to stop me from getting out the stuff I want. Now, if I had to get a lot of stuff out, it'd be a pain. You know, my, my paints are at the ready. I can get that out easily. It's a, it pull the drawer open, put the paint out, start painting. Organization. You yeah, know, yeah. That's a big part of, of setting, setting the, the stage for you to be able to create yeah, absolutely. organization. If you're looking, if you're looking for a collar or a brush or something, or if you're looking for a tuner or you're looking for a pedal, um, you know, you're that you're thinking about something other than creating. So you're, yeah, you're slowing yourself down. You are, yeah. you are in your own way. Yeah. And if you have to find it, it's a real pain. Yeah. You know, you put it away in a closet somewhere and you're like, what did I do with that light? You know, where's the battery for my camera? You know, all these things. I have friends who say, you know, never put your camera away. Uh, I can't do that. I, I feel like the kid who didn't put his toys away. If it's sitting out all the time, it's just junk. And I don't look at my gear as junk. I look at it as something that I need to put away, take care of when it's time to work. It's coming out of the bag and I'm working. I have multiple bags, but I typically keep the essential stuff in my backpack. Um, if I'm going to do a bigger job or something, I'll, I'll take the other bags. And those are kept in a closet here in the studio. But, um, you know, that your space is really important to help you get in the zone. It's just as much mental for me when I, come in the room, shut the door behind me. It's like everybody in the house knows when that door's shut, don't bother dad, you know, um, just leave him alone. Let him do his thing. Now I still get bothered. That's, you know, that's things happen. People need me, you know, and, uh, there was a time where I really used to get angry about it. Say if the house ain't burning down and somebody's not dying, don't bother me. <laughs> right. like, but I've, I've come to realize that, you know, little distractions like that aren't a big deal. Five minutes here and there is not going to, you know, not make you a professional artist. It's just going to have to be, this needs attention for a moment. Come back to it. Uh, I've written about that a lot. You know, the big rusty lever uh, concept where 
you know, if you have other things you got to do, you got to get used to turning that lever on and off, that light switch on and off. And if you don't work as an artist very long and you're doing other things, that lever gets a little harder to move. So if you, if you learn to just be an artist every waking hour and see the world in a different light, I think it's really easy for you to just jump right into that zone anytime. Right. Um, I'm not saying being a workaholic or anything like that, but just, you know, be mindful of your creativity. So, and, and these things can help you get out of a rut. I think, uh, I'm, I'm pretty talkative today. It must be the death wish coffee. <laughs> um, uh, you know, your, your space is really important to help you get out of a rut too. I, I know that whenever I'm in a rut, it's usually when I'm not in this studio. Um, and I procrastinate. I say, I don't really feel like going in there today. I don't want to do that. I don't want to, I don't want to get the paints out. I don't want to draw. That's where the digital illustration comes in kind of handy because I don't have to make a mess. I can just plug in my tablet, open my laptop and draw. And be creative. Yeah. And there's no wasted material. It's it's just time, you know, and time is important, but you've done something. So I would say it works a lot with, uh, it, it correlates really well with music. You know, you can, you can plug away at creativity, you know, hitting the strings and making noise and goofing off and all that. You're not really wasting material. You're just taking some time. Right. So, you know, getting out of a rut for me is just about, uh, pushing, pushing through the procrastination and just walking into your space, getting into that zone. Because, uh, I think most of us as creatives, we can break through that pretty quick once we, finally get into our space if you know, both headspace and physical space. Right. Um, so yeah, that was, that was kind of a intriguing thought from metal for breakfast. I, I, I'm glad he asked that on Twitter. It, uh, you meditate. do you meditate? I do. I, I try to do five to 10 minutes a day. Uh, no, no electronics. You know, I actually started with a, um, an app called, I think it's called Headspace or something like that. I, I did the free part of it. I didn't buy anything. You can extend it longer. Um, they kind of teach you how to get in the zone. I feel like I learned enough about it at that point that I could just do it myself, turn electronics off, sit down, find a quiet space and, and just go with it. And I don't always get finished before I'm interrupted with something, you know, maybe the dog needs to go outside or, or the cat's going crazy. Uh, she's in heat right now. So it's, oh, man. she runs around the house like crazy and we're, she's scheduled for an appointment, but it, it ain't going to happen sooner. <laughs> so the joys of having pets for those of you who don't have pets. Um, you do think- you, do you meditate? Uh, not seriously, but it's funny because, uh, last few, um, over the last few months, I've I've just been trying to take a, a few quiet moments and just not think about anything. Try to let my brain reset, yeah, and just try to let things catch up. I mean, I've seen a few articles about how you know that can be good to yeah to kind of get your give your brain a a second to kind of catch up with yeah. this or that. I, I I try to do that you know once or twice a day um, if I remember yeah you know if I can yeah. find a moment, but and I find it kind of. 
I hate to use the word it centers me, but I find I was thinking that, that yeah. you know, yeah, I, it does. I, I find um, it uh, gives me perspective on whatever I got going on. You know, it does. It clears the brain. Yeah, gives you an opportunity to, to think. Um, it's funny. I haven't really tried that. Uh, I haven't never really tried that as a artistic technique or as a technique to, you know, wipe my brain clean before I'm sitting down to yeah. do something. I might have to, might be something to try. I personally love getting in the shower, taking a shower and then coming straight to the studio. Really? Yeah. Cause without being distracted by anything, you know, no phone calls, no, I don't really know how to say this. When you get out of the shower, you know, and you, you got to get ready. Obviously you can't, I mean, I guess you could, but I got, I got to get dressed. I got to, you know, just, whatever. But if I, if I don't have a conversation with anybody to fog my brain with their thoughts and their, um, whatever discussions they have, you know, not, not trying to say, I don't want to talk to somebody. It's just no, that, I know what you mean though. Uh, when I'm in the shower, I think really good. I think it's because I'm separated from everything. I like water. I like being near water. We have a waterfall out front in our house. Uh, the, the Creek, it's a natural, uh, natural waterfall. I love hearing it. Uh, I love the ocean. I just like being near water and getting in the shower, coming out. I'm completely relaxed. Everything's new. And maybe that goes along with the desk concept where it's clean and there's nothing cluttering the space. It's like everything's new, fresh, ready to go. You know, <laughs> I don't know. It's probably a psychological thing I'm suppressing from when I was a child. Who knows? <laughs> but um, I, I love that. It, it, my, my brain is completely free to think when I get in the studio. And a lot of people probably think, well, what does an artist have to think about? All they got to do is mix paint and throw it on the canvas. But uh, I found that my brain has to be in a certain place, really, to make art. Uh, I, if I'm angry, I make angry art. I right. really do. And it's ugly. I don't like it. Um, Complicated, complicated discussion right now with that. Kind of, kind of makes me want to move into an area here that might be a little bit strange for some artists to think about, or even non-artists wondering why it's even a a, a topic. But uh, I mentioned that I was doing a lot of digital illustration again, and uh, I have a about a fifteen-year-old Wacom tablet that I use that. I actually bought years ago to do photo editing and uh, a big part of me said, you know, you really can't do digital illustrations in an artistic way because your, your fans, your clientele, the people who buy the oil paintings and the drawings and, you know, the fine art from you aren't going to understand why you're drawing a cartoon or something weird digitally. And I suppressed it. And I continued to suppress it, thinking that I couldn't be a commercial illustrator and a fine artist all in one. Um, it, it really frustrated me. And every time I throw stuff out there, I do get the occasional, you know, that's cute or that's nice, but you really need to stick to what you do. <laughs> right. You know, and it's it's a little bit irritating because I don't care what I have in my hand. If it's a pen or a pencil or a brush a stylus, you know, if I'm doing it digitally or traditionally, it's all the same. I'm making something, you know? Right. So I don't, I don't know. What's your, what's your thoughts on somebody who's known as a fine artist 
actually doing commercial art, is that selling out? Is that, I mean. I don't think so. I think that uh, it's funny. What, what, uh, what did I see today? I was reading a, um, I saw a clip of Rob Zombie mm-hmm. and it was a whole, it was a, a uh, collage of different interviews that uh, he had done. And one of them was, uh, it's kind of weird, but um, they were talking about how, when he signed for, with uh, Geffen, Mm-hmm. That he had these these two hipsters come up to him, and this is when White Zombie was still you know unknown basically, mm-hmm. and they said he sold out, and it's like, you know, I'm still sleeping in a van and torn around with terrible <laughs> equipment, you know, if this is selling out, and and he said, um, you know, anything selling out, you know, he asked him, said, well, what do you do for a living? It's like, well, I work at Burger King. Well, you work for a big conglomerate you know, corporation. It's like, you know, what's the difference? <laughs> right. But what selling out is, is, is when you do something that, that, uh, you really don't believe in just for the money or you change your style or what you're doing just for the money. If you like writing jingles, I mean, I don't, I don't think that makes you less of an artist. Uh, Mark Slaughter, um, singer for slaughter mm-hmm. uh he does voiceovers for uh like tiny tunes and stuff <laughs> really? like that yeah i didn't know that um <laughs> up all night yeah sleep all day <laughs> and well he's got yeah it's where a lot of uh like extreme vocalists like that are you know do yeah. cartoon voices yeah. and stuff you just don't really think about it um i double know. i double for patrick warburton every now and again oh that's cool <laughs> yeah that's cool yeah, there yeah, you go not really <laughs> <laughs> but is um as long as you enjoy doing it and it means something to you, um, I don't see nothing wrong with it. But it's just like if somebody came up to me and and said that, uh, you know, if you start writing country tunes and, mm-hmm. and you know, we're going to give you all this money because you fit the suit, the yeah. Johnny Bravo kind of thing. <laughs> um, I'm not saying I wouldn't necessarily do it if the money yeah. wasn't right, but that's selling out. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Does it, does it affect your artistic moral standard so to speak i mean do you feel like you're doing something dirty i think i would I've, i'm trying to think have i ever done anything as a musician that made me feel feel like that and it's um i don't know i think you know we, we've done uh shows that were televised before um locally or or stuff that was like at a more family friendly um event mm-hmm. and you know you change a lyric maybe here or there. And that's always kind of, even though I understood why we were doing it and it was important that we get out, that we were able to get in front of a more broad audience. So yeah. it, I, I felt it was justified, but at the same time, I always feel like, you know, I, we wrote that a certain way for a reason. Anytime you change something like that for public uh, consumption, it, it makes you feel, it makes you feel a little funny. I think it makes yeah. you feel like a sellout probably. Yeah. But, I'm not, but would I do it again? Yeah. I mean, it's important to try to get, it's important to try to reach as many people as possible. And and there's a trade-off. And I think that only you can decide um, where that line is for you. I think it's, it's wrong to point the finger at somebody else that's successful and call them a sellout. Um, It's, I think it's wrong. Without knowing their, their heart or their moral compass. Even if it's obvious, it might be obvious, but. You know, sometimes or not, you sound who you are, you know, you sound like how you sound and mm-hmm. you are who you are. And I think that comes out and there's, there's bands that, that 
specifically change their sound to sound like what's going on. And most of them are, it's obvious. And right. it, it's, uh, you, the public knows, yeah. the listener knows. So I, wow. You brought up a couple of good thought processes on that for me. That, um, it's different for drawing and, and, and photography, I think though. But if, if you take a, I mean, well, does I don't that know, make you I don't feel know that it is being the reason, cause I kind of have an agenda with this, this topic. Um, when I, years ago, when I started doing the, the digital editing for photography, I was doing a lot of editing for other photographers and they would send me their files. I'd clean them up and, you know, make them look good and send them back. Uh, kind of like mastering and music. Like if someone records their album, they get it all done. They send it to some guy to master it, to make it polished. Right. I was kind of doing that for a lot of other people and, uh, you know, doing a little bit of retouching here and there, getting braces off of kids for, you know, their senior pictures and sorts, those sorts of things. But I didn't know you were doing that. Yeah. That's actually how I got started in Photoshop. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, 2005 ish, somewhere in that range. I've always had a camera in my hands. I mean, it, that's kind of one of those things that I don't know. It, for some fine artists, from some traditional artists, the camera is kind of an evil piece of machinery. <laughs> but for me, it was always, uh, I can get uh, good references pretty quick. That way I can do some other things like that. Um, I'm, I'm worried that my dog just jumped up. There's probably something going on. Yeah. Okay, he's he's gonna start. He's whining. That's what it is. Anyway, I, uh, I I struggled for a long time if I should even include photography in my art. And I brought my brother on, and uh, we worked together for a while. And um, he used to refer to me as the guy behind the green curtain. You know, I'd always make our pictures look a certain way, and uh, he was more of doing the photography work. I was doing the editing. He got me some other gigs through some different forums that he was on. Next thing you know, I had 16 studios I was working for on a regular basis. And that's all I was doing was editing photos. Wow. So when people ask me, why don't you like shooting weddings? Because I've seen thousands of wedding pictures and I don't <laughs> want to see any more, <laughs> even if I, even if I do it now, how that plays as a traditional artist, it was really completely out of the realm for me, but it got me learning how to use the Wacom tablet and it got me interested in digital. Um, I think we're technology is finally coming of age for artists to where uh, it, it can feel very much like working traditionally and even using my tablet, my 15 year old tablet with modern technology software, it's so much better. And um, like these, these books we have over here on my drawing table, the, uh, the star Wars illustration book and the star Wars storyboard book, uh, for another podcast, we'll talk more about those and star Wars art later, but, um, it really got me looking at it going, can I, can I paint digitally to make it look like it was done in acrylics? Can I make it look like it was done this way? What, what am I missing? And I started pushing a little bit, started playing around a little bit. And a friend of mine, Felix Schlater, um, does some amazing stuff on his iPad Pro and an app called Procreate. Uh, he uses the Apple Pencil for it and uh, really cool stuff. He came up with a, a rat. Uh, it's a kind of a punk rat. Um, 
calls him Roscoe. It's really, really cool. Really cool stuff. He's making stickers and different things. I think he's going to put them on shirts. I don't know for sure, but, um, he challenged me one day to, to, uh, well, he put a challenge out for everybody, but I, I took it. He, he called me out on it. So I did it. And basically you put dots on your page and you close those dots in with a, you know, you connect the dots and then you look at that shape and you come up with something that you think is in that shape. You know, what, what do you see in that shape? And I started doing this lizard thing, this lizard man kind of thing off, off of one of them. And I, I'm, I'm a little more painterly in the design that I do. I think I'm probably more like a concept artist versus a cartoonist or something like that. And I put them out online and I've had mixed reviews. I've had a couple of people, you know, like it really well and, and send me emails, but I actually got the occasional email from people who saw it on Facebook and said, it doesn't match what you're doing. Why are you doing that? You know? And it, it concerned me because I got to thinking to myself, why have I not developed this skill set and done more freelance work to where I can work in the movies or I can work for bands doing, um, fan fantasy art and stuff. And I, I looked at, uh, tours, new album, uh, hell and, um, their artists depicted what, uh, the Nordic hell would look like had people in there, had caves and, uh, uh, long ship was in there with them. And, um, I got to think, you know, I can do that. Why am I not doing that? You do know? you want to do that? Oh yeah. Well, yeah, why I'm, aren't you? I don't That's know. That's a good question. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about pushing it. Um, gear kind of always gets in my head, you know, and I don't need it. I, I've noticed that with 50, a 15 year old Wacom tablet and my Mac and Photoshop, it's good enough. I, I have some learning to do anyway, so why not play it? Uh, so I'll probably do that locally and, and play around a little bit and see what kind of fantasy art I can come up with as illustration, you know, get hired to do some freelance illustration work and, and do it, which leads me to honestly, the question that I, I keep asking is, can you be a commercial artist and a fine artist? And I struggle with that, but this is closer for me to, to make, make this make sense. This is closer for me as being you know, a commercial illustrator and, or a freelance commercial illustrator and a fine artist, it's closer, it's more relative than, than I was being a photographer shooting bands and live concerts and commercial work, you know, the product stuff and, you know, shooting dogs on a porch, stuff like that, you know, <laughs> you know, anyway, uh, and painting. You know, when I combine those two together, it just really didn't make sense. For me, the camera is a tool to document what I do. And anytime I put something in my hand to make art, that's another subject. And if I had this stuff 30 years ago, I would have went into illustration without a hesitation. I wouldn't have went to drafting drafting and design school and ended up in a factory. Wow, that was rough, wasn't it? I'm kind of mean to myself. Well, you're asking... You know, can you do that and still be a fine artist? And I guess my question is, why can't you? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Does does the fine art world look down on? Sure, they I'm do. Some of them do. Yeah. Somebody does. Somebody's going to. But you know, does that matter? It doesn't matter. Um, a person that comes to mind is Aaron Blaze. Uh, we're about the same age. Uh, I'll be forty seven in, in July. I think he's about the same age as me. Uh, he graduated in. I think 1989 from 
college. Uh, I can't remember. Ringling. I think he went to Ringling College of Art and Design or something. I can't remember. Don't quote me on any of this. Um, but anyway, he, he became a, a Disney artist. Worked on all the major Disney films. You know, learned the traditional side of things on on illustration and all that. But he also sells his fine art pieces. They didn't graphite or oil or acrylic. And it, it really kind of inspires me that I guess I got to look at this as an artist. And I think anybody listening who's, who's struggling with the idea of, can I do this? Can I do what makes me happy and not offend my crowd or not cut off my nose, spike my face kind of thing. You know, I think when you look at people like Aaron blaze, who's made a, a career out of it. Yeah. Why not? If, if your gallerist looks down on you and tells you, Nope, you can't do that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to represent you because I'm looking at your oil paintings. I don't want people to be confused that maybe you did that with a computer. You know, you hit a button and it made a art piece or a filter on it or whatever. You know, it's not like that. It's really hard right. <laughs> to draw on a computer. Uh, let me, let me, let me just say this. Cause this is important. If to me, the early days of technical drawing, using computers was almost like trying to draw the Mona Lisa with a bar of soap on a post-it because that's what using a mouse and Microsoft paint and all these other things was kind of like today. It's not like that. You actually have pin pressure. You have size jitter. You have all kinds of different things that control your pen, your stylus. And all these things really it's magic. (laughs) <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Does it invalidate, uh, you know, Van Gogh or uh, Michelangelo or or one of these cats if it, all of a sudden they find that they drew, uh, you know, they designed a, the cover for a pamphlet back then for some doctor or some – does that invalidate their work because they no. they, they did a commercial commission to – Not today. I don't know if it did then. <laughs> right. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci is a fantastic example of what you're saying. He was known as a uh, scientist, an inventor, a painter, a sculptor. A wild know. man. Yeah, yeah. he was a renaissance man, really. I mean, he he really put a lot out there. And it was all, I, th- I think this is where our creative brain explodes. We just, there's nothing off limits, you know? And we've compartmentalized ourselves so much in this modern era that you have to be this and you have to be that. And you go to school to do this. And I think we forgot what it means to just wake up like a child every day and make shit. Right. You know, just get up and make it. Do what makes you happy. I think if you're proud of it, that's that's what matters. If you write if you write a jingle and it's, you know, goofy and pedestrian, but it's it catch him. People love it. And it, it, it's the, um, you know, it's popular and becomes yeah, a yeah. Piece, piece of pop culture. If somebody that pop, is a pop culture or pulp, either one, <laughs> either one, actually, you know, yeah, yeah. um, I, I don't think that invalidates the rest of your art. It I mean, uh, no. John Bush from Anthrax, he was, uh, he was the voice of Burger King Bringing it back to Burger King again, oh, which yeah. is weird. But uh, making me hungry in commercials <laughs> for um, 
back in the the late nineties, I think it was, you know, did that invalidate his music and armored saint or anthrax? No, I no. don't think so. Uh, no, it doesn't. You know, it's, I understand where the stigma is when it comes to, to, uh, visual art. Yeah. But I mean, that's like a lot of my favorite artists are, are, uh, um, you know, comic book illustrators. And, yeah. and that's the kind of stuff I grew up on. I yeah, really I love loved. Yeah. I couldn't, no matter how good a book was, if the art didn't yeah. speak to me, yeah, I couldn't absolutely. get, I couldn't get yeah, into yeah. it, you know? And there's other guys that, that really, I, I don't see it now, but back then, like, uh, you know, um, black and white and some of this, this muted watercolors and, and some of it, I liked some of it. I didn't, it didn't have, you know, it had its own style and, uh, some people would love it. Some people wouldn't. And mm-hmm. it, it's the same way with me. If, if the story, the story could have been great, but, but I was always, I always gravitated towards the, the art of it. And I yeah. love it. I still love looking at those covers and, and, you know, are, how are, are they less of an artist because they draw in comic books and not at all? Yeah. You know? I, yeah. I don't see it. I've, I've heard uh, Todd McFarlane talk about that a little bit. He's the one of the founder, greatest, yeah, one of my favorite artists. Founder of Spawn. Right. Um, he works on a Wacom Cintiq tablet to draw. And I, I think, I think I heard him one time say that, you know, any of the artists in his group are better than he is, but he can keep up, you know, and that, that's kind of a, <laughs> That blew my mind that he said that because, yeah. you know, it's, it's Todd. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But but you can instantly, you can look at, at uh, especially those old uh, Spider-Mans. Like, um, I'm thinking Spider-Man 300, I think, was one of the ones when he really started on. And the way he started drawing Mary Jane. and Yeah, just, you the can, web. I'm pretty sure he's the one credited with the web that looks more like spaghetti than just a straight line. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he's the one that, that gave her curly hair. And, yeah. And uh, really, really, it shocked people. It's like, well, that's not Mary Jane. Right. You know? Well, yeah, it is. Why does but, she have to be like this? How are you going to, you know, this guy's a, uh, you know, I don't know what he's worth. I uh, wish we had a fact checker, but I'm sure, <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure he's worth, you know, in the millions, yeah, you know, and, yeah. and with his toy lines and all yeah. this stuff. But you're going to say he's uh, not an artist or exactly. is he a sellout because he uh, did ways to get his, basically his sculptures out in the millions of yeah, that's homes. That's a fantastic point. Any of us would love to you sell sealed, out like you that. You sealed the deal on that one for me. I, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with it because I want, I want people to be able to understand me as an artist. I want them to know that I have a playful side, a commercial side, a piece of me that says, I want to make art because it has a purpose. And then I also want to make art because I want it to withstand time. I want it to be timeless, classic. I want it to end up in a museum somewhere someday. So I, I have both, both of these conflicts working against each other. And, um, have you ever thought about using a, uh, pseudonym? I have, uh, Bjorn Johansson. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think that's, I think that's what you do. I mean, if, if you're really that concerned about it, I, I do that and I've got some ideas for some kind of extreme music and yep. uh, extreme things I want to say. And I don't necessarily, uh, well, one of my last, you know, the thrash band I was in, I come up with a whole alter ego and a pseudonym and it's, it was awesome. Yeah. You know, for me, I felt like I was liberated, uh, creatively. Don't, don't didn't Stephen King put out books under another name? I think so. Yeah, um, yeah. I know a few artists that did it. If you got a guy that, uh, especially like in that medium, a guy that's known for doing horror or something a certain way, and he wants to write a love story, 
people's not going to accept that. Yeah, you know, because that's, level. The, that's exactly the point I'm trying to make. So, yes. So what's wrong with, you know, doing it under you know, a pseudonym? I, I think Eddie Murphy's another great example of this. He's, he's a guy we we thought of him as a certain way. And, you know, he put out music. He was real serious. Yeah. And I forgot pe- about that. people yeah. couldn't people could not um, uh, reconcile one with the other. But, you know, what a lot of people don't realize, he went on, he's playing reggae and he's very successful in other countries and yeah. still been cranking out yeah. reggae tunes. It's not like party all the time and yeah. and that stuff. But I remember seeing him in interviews uh, back in the 80s. It's like, you know, people kept waiting for him to, to fart or do something funny. Right. And he's, he's sitting there at the piano playing a love song and he's trying to be real serious. And I think once you get to a certain level of success, uh, that's harder yeah. to, to break that yeah. mold. Yeah. but. I mean, we live in a day and age with the internet and social media and other things where you can change your identity. And even if people kind of really know uh, it's you, I think it can help them accept you doing something different. If I put out a rap album, uh, people that know me for metal or rock probably isn't going to be like, you know, necessarily accept that. Yeah. Or as authentic, even if I really, you know, even if it really meant something to me, I, I couldn't put out a rap album. I did do a, a verse on a, on a tune once I rapped. It, it was not good. But, <laughs> but I'm just saying, or, or um, you know, if, if I was going to put out a country album, it, it probably, you know, p- people's going to, they're going to have preconceived notions yeah. and it's not going to yeah. match their notions. Yeah. I so, so, you know, I, I get that, but. I don't know. I, I've I've been really struggling with this for quite some time uh, over the years, and it, I I think I suppressed it. You know, I really do. If I, it makes you feel good and you're good at it, and you think that you can be successful at it, that is what matters. You cannot let how will this look um, stop you. Yeah, because then that's selling. And out. you know, we talked about comparing ourselves to others, and I I think I'm comparing myself with myself in this regard because I went on. Um, Instagram and I've been posting this stuff because I want to share it. I want to let people know I'm doing it. And I started looking at my work and I go, Oh crap. That looks, looks like some other artist just took over my Instagram. What I got to do something about this. And I don't really want to delete them because there's people who liked it. Right. And that's to me, that's more important than me actually putting it out there is the fact that other people commented and liked it. I kind of don't want to delete it now because you know, when you get a fan who likes it, I don't care if it's one. It's important. That's what I'm here to do. And that's the currency of today and right, the time that we right. live in. Uh, but then there's also that part of me in the background who said, dude, it, you're not putting out a professional image if you're going to do that. You know, that's, that's, that's not even good work yet. It's like, right. You know, so there's a part of me that says start another Instagram channel or page or whatever. Yeah, there's some validity you know, to that, that, you uh, know. You know, and I may. But I think with my website, I'm looking at actually creating a, a new website that when you you have a landing page that says this is Michael Worth Fine Art and this is uh, Michael Worth Commercial Art, where I can put my digital illustrations and my traditional illustrations too, because I'm not going to just do it all digitally. Some of it's going to be traditional on illustration board and scanned in and stuff like that too, because I, I I like that. Uh, like I said, any, if I put a brush in my hand, a stylus, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter what it is. I'm going to make art with it. Um, well, isn't it, uh, you can give me a, you can give me a flip flop with paint on it. I'm going to try to find something to draw. Right. So I don't know. I'm, I'm still debating on it or not. Um, uh, I don't know how to get jobs 
freelance like that. I, I know how to call people and do the cold calling thing and get gigs as a photographer, but I don't know how to do it as a illustrator. So I don't know. There's, there's stuff out there, I guess, you know, but uh, let's do one more beer because we're, we're running out of time. Right. And, um, this one is carefully crafted in Columbus, Ohio. That's what it says on the can North high brewing company. It's a uh, stardust to stardust. It's an 8.8% alcohol by volume. Imperial IPA. It's sweating too because it's been sitting out. It is sweating. It's, uh, you know, Imperial IPA makes me think of Darth Vader. So we'll probably end up using this for the Star Wars episode if we ever <laughs> seem to be able to knock that one out. Um, I think we will, but it's it's uh, the, the font that they use on the can is actually looking a lot like Star Wars font. Um, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat of a Star Wars geek when it comes to that, but... Uh, this is kind of harsh. I'm going to tell you right off the bat. For somebody, yeah, I like it. I wouldn't call it harsh. I, get, I got for, a little bit me, left in my glass. Has it going to mix it well in there? No, it won't mix well. You probably ought to get rid of that. Just pour it on the floor? No. <laughs> Have at it. You can do it. I won't pour uh, you as much on oh this God. one. Oh, God. All right, I'll try I'll just it. give you a taste of the next one. For those of you listening, Paul's not really a beer drinker. Uh, I'm, oh, God. Uh, yeah. Warm. Yeah. I'm I'm one of those guys. I'm I'm a bad influence on your children. Don't let them come play with me or anything. So <laughs> I really don't hate that that fifty West. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good one. It's uh, it's easy for they make a lot of beers. I think that are easy. They they do have one. I think it's called Punch You in the IPA from years ago. It's <laughs> really good. I think it's an Imperial. Also, it's been years. So yeah, Imperial IPA eight and a half. Oh, wait a minute, eight point eight percent alcohol by volume. So it's you know, it's not a Bud Light. <laughs> uh, I wish it poured black. I wish it was oh, a, I wish awesome. it was a black IPA. But yeah, it, just it give me not. just a tiny bit. Yeah, that's yeah, just a taste here. And you don't have to finish it if you don't like it. And it's perfectly okay to say you don't like it. I'm sure that people listening from North High won't care. Or if it's like I always or, tell people. I don't get offended if you don't like my music. If if I give you a CD or you buy, you know, use it for a coaster, pass it along. I, yeah. I never get offended by it. I, I don't like it when people say things suck because yeah. it's just your opinion. But if you say, eh, I don't like it, wasn't my thing, man, I, yeah. that's great. You know, not everybody, yeah. if everybody liked it, that would be so boring. It would be very boring. Cheers. Happy Skull. Beer Happy beer day. <laughs> I think, oh God, that's terrible. I think it's a fine beer. <laughs> no, I don't. It, it I, bites, I don't like it, but uh, I'm it sure bites a does. lot more than the last one. I know that, and it's a little warmer because it's been here for almost an hour sitting in the can. But uh, you know, I, I think this leads me to another topic of the day. I know we've we've kind of jumped around here a lot on today's podcast. I, I like to keep it like this because it is conversational. It's you know lounge like, and we're just hanging out really uh, with all of our creative friends here. Uh, my friend Ginky, Ginky Hagata, he said, uh, maybe I should talk about printing and reproductions. And this is a, a polarizing topic for a lot of artists. Uh, I see it in the music industry. You kind of have to, you got to make reproductions because if you only did touring and you only did live performances, you're just not going to do as well as if you had something for somebody to keep 
you know, obviously. And the studio is its own instrument. Yeah. Too. So it's just, it's just different. Yeah. In, in the fine art world and even in the illustrations that I want to do, um, let me backtrack a little bit and say, I did a lot of prints for years, uh, starting back in the, I guess it was probably 1998, 99. I was getting lithographs made. Uh, giglets weren't really popular yet. That's spelled uh, kind of weird. It's a French word, G-I-C-L-E-E. Makes me uncomfortable. Please don't say it again. Giglets? Oh. <laughs> anyway, it's a, it's a different kind of print. But the lithograph is typically, and I'm not talking about lithograph in the fine art. Ah. <sighs> God, we are so really difficult for people to actually understand. No wonder people always go, what is that? I don't understand. Um, when I say lithograph, as far as a reproduction goes of my work, it's uh, a four-color press. Uh, I The company I used had a Heidelberg uh, four-color press. It was, uh, Wasn't that the guy from uh, Breaking Bad? No, that was Heisenberg. <laughs> <laughs> but that's funny. <laughs> Uh, Heidelberg, uh, it's a multi-million dollar press. Uh, I think it would go up to 48 inches wide on the paper. I forget how, how long, uh, but they would, they would print 500 prints for me in about 20 minutes. And it was a big to do, you know, I'd get down there, I'd take the original down. They would do all the photography work for it. Uh, make a proof. I would come down look at the proof, compare it to the original and tell them, you know, this, the greens aren't quite right. They always had trouble with greens. I think every printer does. Um, I mean, they did a good job. Don't get me wrong, but we would go back and push and pull different areas of the print. And then they would make the plates for the CMYK, which is the, the cyan magenta, uh, yellow and black that we're used to seeing. And I know I'm getting really detailed here. Used to CMYK. Ain't that Bam Margera's thing? <laughs> Great. Now we got to pay for him. Gone it. I was trying to get away from that little licensing crap. If you say orange juice and I have to give money to Gene, I'm going to be mad. <laughs> anyway, we oh, go devil, down the oh, CKY path. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, he owns the money bag guy, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. The, the monocle guy uh, with the money bag. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it's, anyway, you go to a CKY press. Yeah. CMYK. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they print these prints and, you know, typically you have 200, 500, a thousand, whatever, and you sell them. It's based on your original artwork and the original, hopefully the original artwork sells too. If it doesn't sell, I don't know why you got prints because it's probably going to be hard to sell the prints if the original isn't interesting for somebody. But, you know, I did that for a while and I made some decent money at it. Um, it was a nice supplement. We live in a small town, so maybe that's got a lot to do with it. But um, it was affordable for collectors. But here's my point on making prints. That person who's buying a $150 print or well, I'm just using $150 as an example compared to, say, a $1,500 original of the same thing. That person buying that print is probably never going to be the person that buys the original because they're always looking for something cheaper. They're looking for something that goes on the wall that they can afford. Nothing wrong with that. But unless you're selling a lot of original art, 
I don't know that prints are really all that important to do. Uh, I, I can take a lot of heat for this. I know a lot of people really, it, like I say, it's polarizing. It's probably a 50, 50 thing. A lot of artists just seem to think that prints are the Holy grail. And if they make them, they'll be rich. You know, it's, it's not how it works. I, I don't think, I mean, I was successful at it. I did pretty well here with it, but I also learned that, uh, every penning I did was starting to look like it had to be a print. And I started feeling like I had to make prints of everything. And if, if that is driving your art, then no, that's not good. But right. I don't see the, I, I mean, if, if five people like, like your art and they all want one, it's nice to be able to get everyone true, one. True. You, if you're painting a painting, only one person can get it. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, if I put a song out, I'm not going to just sell it to one person. Yeah. I guess I, Wu-Tang did that to that. That dude that everybody hates, the the pharmaceutical guy, didn't he buy oh, yeah. buy their album and not put it out or something? Yeah. But generally, generally, gin, gin, it mostly we'll say that. How's yeah. that? Mostly people, yeah. pe- people aren't going to do that. You're not going to put out a. I mean, I'm not looked looked down upon because I pressed three hundred copies of my CD or three thousand yeah. copies of my CD. I mean, what else am I going? I'm not going to sell one copy of it to. I would rather sell you know, 10 copies for, you know, $10, then, then sell one for 5,000. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I guess on the, on the, I guess I should be clear. Um, for me to run 500 prints at the company I used to work with, they're, they're out of business now, but there's others are similar. Um, 500 prints run me somewhere around 1900 to $2,200. It's been on my size. And that's then, have you looked in this now? I'm yeah, sure technology. Yeah. It's different. probably a little bit more. Uh, if you do the Zuclays, like if you go to a company, you hate that word, don't you? Oh, yeah, I it's do just, too. It's, it's a like print. moist. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I were to go do the digital prints that, that you can do one off of, I mean, that's the, kind of the nice thing about that sort of print is you don't have, it's not a setup thing where you have all these plates. There's some pros and cons here. I don't want to get into, but, um, if you were to have those made the same size, you're looking at about 30 to $50 per print to have it made. And where I come from, uh, when I look at the business side of things, I really don't want my materials being more than 30% of the sale price. Right. So if, you know, if you're looking at a $50 manufacturing cost, you're going to have some serious money out there for somebody to buy that print and you're getting closer to your original price, <laughs> you know, to buy the original itself. Um, I just think too many people, too many artists jump into prints thinking that's the way they're going to make their living. And the originals are just going to be, I'll do 12 a year, you know, or five a year. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not the way to do it. I don't think so. I think make art that sells, sell it when you, find something that sticks and you want to make prints of it, go ahead. Maybe, maybe open edition prints or something limited edition prints can come later. I don't know. I don't, I don't know the best approach for everyone. Cause I think everyone is different. Um, but the caveat here I'm trying to get at is if I do commercial art, like we've been talking and I decide, you know what? I think some of these would make really good posters. You know, maybe I can get those posters made that aren't on fine art paper 
They're not using fine art inks. I'm not going through a, a place that uses a multi-million dollar Heidelberg press right. with a team of six guys making sure that it's right. You don't have to crank out 500 at a time. Right. Maybe I can go get them made at you know your local print shop. Or maybe I can do it online and go somebody who's going to do, you know, 500 prints for, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe 250 bucks, you know, something like that. Those, obviously I'll probably sign them, you know, but they're not going to be, they're posters. So there's a, it's a cheaper, I can't sell them for 150, $200 a piece, but I could probably sell them for, you know, $20 or $30. And that's something I do consider in the future. As far as my fine art goes, I, I still think I'm going to, for me personally, I think I'm going to back away from it. So prints, prints and reproductions, they, they can be beneficial, but they can also be a little bit of a curse. So I guess I would just warn artists, you know, what, what's your intention? Why do you have to make prints? Are you selling, I guess, are you selling a whole bunch of originals where you think that prints are going to help offset it? Are your originals really expensive where you think you have to maybe drive the the price somewhere else. I don't know. Um, marketing wise, I just think, yeah, it's nice to have different price points, but at some, some level too, you, you really need to be successful in what you do before you start mass producing what you do. I don't know. I mean, you wouldn't go out and make 20,000 copies of your album if you didn't think you could sell them. Right. Right. But in this day and age, and I think even with what you're talking about, uh, you can kind of test and see what the what the market is. I mean, a lot of times, you know, the whole pre-sale thing is just to see how many you need to make. It's the same way with shirts or, you know, you do a, you put it out there, hey, you know, who who wants this? Yeah. It'll be available in, you know, three months. And then if you got, you know, 500 people that want that, then yeah, the print goes forward, print it and you sell them. If you got just a a little bit of interest, you don't, you know, the, yeah. the cost effectiveness is just not there. Yeah. So. I don't know. Prints, prints, uh, the topic of prints can be not prints, the purple guy, the purple prints. rain guy. Prints. Prints. Uh, reproductions. I like to use the word reproductions. Uh, I, I think that topic could really be uh, something to explore deeper and other outlets, maybe on the, the blog or something, but um, yeah, it's, it's tough. I, I wouldn't just jump right into it as an artist. I don't, I don't think I would go that route. I also would like to offer digital downloads of my stuff. Yeah. And I know a lot of people said, Oh, don't do that. It'll get reprinted. They'll make prints. Well, if I can't sell the prints, that guy's not gonna be able to sell the prints either. <laughs> so, right. Well, you just never know. know, you know, somebody sees yeah. something cool and I, I, I do want, Honestly, on the on the topic of prints, I I think this is a great idea, and I think if you're listening and you're an artist and you're like, oh, I want to do prints, but I just don't know how to do it, create a book, a PDF that you can have people download for five dollars or ten dollars, and it contains all of your artwork in it with a little story about each painting. Uh, I think that's a great way to sell somebody something who likes your work. Probably would support you any way they could but they, their budget might be low and they, they just can't afford maybe a nice limited edition and certainly not an original, but they really want to support you and they love your art. There's no reason why you couldn't offer a download, a digital download of an, of a PDF or an ebook, so to speak, mm-hmm. 
of your art and give it some, you know, curate it yourself. You make it 16 paintings or 24 paintings that all go together. Maybe you spent uh, 2017 touring the country painting in plain air or on plain air, however you want to say it. Um, and you have all these paintings that you want to share, but you want to also talk about your experiences. Maybe you stopped at a brewery on your way. And I mean, I'm kind of giving away all my, this is what I want to do with my life right. kind of stuff. But you know, I think there's, there's a lot of ways to reproduce your work other than the traditional print market. You know, your you, distribution is the hard part with traditional prints. You got to find places that'll sell it. You're not going to sell them all. You know, your, your local market might be able to give you 50, maybe up to a hundred. But if you had 10 shops across the country, that could sell 50. There's your 500. Yeah. You know, you're, you're going to have to look at the numbers and, and really look at it. And, and I don't know. It, this is, I'm, I'm kind of discouraging people from doing prints because I, I just, I think it's a down the road kind of a thing. And even at that point, if you're selling 20 originals at $20,000 a piece, do you need to do prints? Do you want to do prints? I mean, <laughs> does right. it, do you want to really, I don't know. Send me an email, drop me a line, tell me what you think. <laughs> I don't know. I, it's, this is a, this is a question that's hard for me to answer. I, I think uh, maybe Ginky set me up for a failure on this one. I don't know. <laughs> well, just like anything else, it's like, you know, the, it's subjective. Not only is art subjective, but uh, the business around art is subjective as well. I mean, yeah, w- what works for 20 people might not work for 21 and what works for the 21 might not work for the other 50. Exactly. I mean, you might've made a living as a heavy metal bass player in one of the top thrash metal bands on the planet. And you're doing something else in Dayton. Well, yeah. What a nice segue. Yeah. Yeah. I went to a show, uh, uh, Friday and, uh, it was Dave Ellison and from Megadeth and, uh, Frank Bellow from Anthrax. And they got a, uh, they got this new band that they're doing where, you know, they're both endorsed by Harky and they're both bass players mm-hmm. and they would do these clinics, uh, you know, at music stores and talk about their gear and whatnot. Well, they started thinking, well, why don't we come up with some original music? So Frank's playing guitar and singing and uh, they got a drummer and a guitar player and they're doing a show at, at Odd Bodies in Dayton. I thought, wow. I thought, well, I'll go up and check it out. I, I looked at some of their stuff on YouTube. It was kind of, you know, they're known for, you know, they're, they're part of the big four, you know, right. thrash masters, but their original, their new band, it's, uh, I always get it backwards. It's attitudes, altitudes and attitude. Mm-hmm. That's what the band's called. And, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of, there's some pop in it. It's kind of Foo Fighter-ish, a oh, little really? bit, some alternative. Yeah. And I was thinking, man, I don't know. It's, um. Well, for our listeners, how big is this place that you went to see them? What kind of venue is it? It's inside. It's a big, long room inside of a strip mall. It's not. Was it McGuffey's? I don't think so, but no. I don't know. I've never been to McGuffey's. It might be. Somebody would know. Did they They're change the, the very, name? They're on the very end of it. Very end of the. Yeah. There's like a little taco place out front. Yep. Yep. It I, might might have been. Might have been McGuffey's. It's not very big. I've not been there before, so it's, I don't uh, know. 500, 700 people, maybe. Oh, I don't think you get that many in there. 20 feet wide by however feet deep, maybe. 
Typical it's, strip mall next to a it's second wide, save. It's wider than that, and it's longer, <laughs> but it's. Uh, I'm trying to think of something to... to uh, was was the bathroom right behind the stage? Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it must be McGuffey's. I bet, it, I bet it is. It's really, not very big. Yeah, the, the stage is like 12 inches high. No, it was a little bit higher. Was it? But it's... Uh, I photographed 10 years in McGuffey's. Really? Yeah. And... Uh, I can't think of the name of the band now, but uh, the drummer, Sean Foist. Um, it was the first time I ever photographed him. Um, he's now the drummer for Breaking Benjamin. Oh, yeah. So, But it was a, it was a very terribly promoted show. Yeah. Um, it was this guy that, that actually puts these on. I didn't realize when I bought tickets online, I didn't realize it was uh, his show. He's known for kind of screwing over the opening bands and and – He'll put eight bands on a show like that. Wow. And, and then whoever sells the most tickets goes on later and so on and so forth. But I showed up in time for the last, you know, three bands and then the headliners and the sound was, I mean, it it would have had to got better to be terrible. That's how bad the sound was. <laughs> but luckily the, uh, I, and I walked in and, and showed them my ticket on the phone. They didn't have a way to scan it or anything. I could have just said I bought a ticket and it wouldn't matter. I mean, it was very unorganized. There was about 50 people there. At 20. Oh my God, really? 50 people? Yeah. And that's kind of generous. There may have been some people that came and saw some of the opening bands and left. They booked all these like, heavy screaming metal bands with makeup and different stuff on. For, uh, they, got it, they got it wrong just because they were thinking this is Dave. and No, the promoter was just getting anybody who would jump on that show oh, on a Friday okay. and buy tickets. And, and uh, it's a shame. It is. But, um, luckily the headliners had their own um, sound guy and they sounded great. And I see a guy with a double neck guitar and I started texting Ryan. I'm like, Bumblefoot is playing guitar for these guys. Was I, he really? I had no idea. And it was awesome. What a great concert. It was. It was and, and you know, there was a, there was two rows of people staying there. I was sitting at, at a at a bar table. I mean, it was very comfortable. And they kicked ass. And, and one, uh, of the, one of the reasons I want to bring this up. Times like this, I, not to cut you off, but I am cutting you off. Times like this, I really wish there was a way that we could share music. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and just kind of put it in there and go. Look, we're promoting these people. We're not trying to use it for our own benefit, but right. you know, Bumblefoot. I mean, you know, yeah, Mastodon and right. No, Bumblefoot, um, Guns N' Roses, and oh yeah, and yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, theme song yeah, for yeah. that metal show. And oh um, yeah, yeah. Uh, who else he played? Play somebody really else. Good but, musicians. Yeah, and he's playing his double neck, which is a fret, fretless and a and a fretted uh, uh, guitar. And he played that all night, but he only used the fret of the fretless, you know, on one song, but I thought it was just kind of neat. He played that guitar all night. Wow. But it was really cool because here, these guys, you know, in their various bands, um, had, you know, toured the world multiple oh, times, yeah. played, played, <laughs> you know, in front of hundreds of thousands of people and mm-hmm. in, in different countries. Um, and here they are playing to 50 people. Um, and it's, the, it's not a downgradable thing. It's more of a, they're still doing what they love. Exactly. And they, and it came across, um, where they were, they were happy to be there and they were happy to do yeah. it. And they knew they were a new band that needed to, you know, that they weren't, yeah. they didn't act like they were somebody like if I was Dave Ellison, I would be like, I'm Dave Ellison. You right. know, yeah. He's not Ma- like that at Megadeth. all. Yeah. But, I, yeah. He's such a cool guy. Right. But you know, here they are just ha- happy that, they were sharing the music with somebody like they were 
you could tell they had that kind of youthful, um, what's the word I'm looking for? That, that feeling that here they are, they're back in the club slogging yeah, it out. Yeah. And it was cool. Of course, it's easier to be happy about that when you're, you know, you know, you're, you get to go back to your regular band and, and, <laughs> right. and, and be a rock star. Yeah, but, yeah. And I guess Bumblefoot is uh, fronting Asia. Now I just found oh, out. Really? Yeah, but they did the best version of Detroit Rock City I've ever heard a band play. And Bumblefoot sang Probably better I, than Kiss. I well, easily <laughs> it was. And I've seen Kiss twice. But uh Bumblefoot told the Kiss army out there. And, <laughs> sorry. He sang the third verse and he sounded great. Didn't you know he could sing? But huh. it was just a really cool show and it was intimate and it was nice. The fire. That's what I'm looking for. You know, they had yeah, that yeah, they yeah. had that yeah. fire of what it was like to be in a garage band and you know, doing your you know, first yeah, couple gigs yeah. and you got a real stage. Man, real how people. cool, how cool is that? Yeah. Yeah, Frank Bellow's cool. voice. He's the singer of the band. He didn't, I was a little disappointed because of, uh, um, Dave plays some, uh, on the album, he plays some, uh, eight string bass, some, uh-huh. some 10 string bass, you know, with the octaves, right. kind of like, you know, I'm big into that. Yeah. Um, but he didn't pull that out for, for none of it. And I thought that they might do some Dolan basses because I think on their first, this actually, this is their second CD. I didn't even, I just found out about the band a couple months ago, but. I didn't even know. I, I yeah. thought they'd do some dual and bass stuff, but they didn't. But it was great, man. Their songs were good. And their, uh, the stuff they got on YouTube and some of their stuff from the first album, it just doesn't really do yeah. it justice. You know? Yeah. Um, I kind of feel like that. We we, we always mention Crowbot because right, it's one yeah, of Yeah, absolutely. I, I think their, their first record I love so much, but I think um, after seeing them and after them playing so much, yeah, playing those songs, they evolved and got a little bit heavier. Yeah, I would love to hear that whole album re-recorded um, with the production from the second album. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. But it's still great. The first record is awesome. But uh, have you heard them yet? By the way, with the new uh, percussion and bass, just some clips section. that uh, that they've been posting on um, uh, Instagram. I'm anxious to see yeah. that. I can't wait to see them live. I hope if if they don't play, you want to go. We should go. This is what we should do. We should go to, to Pennsylvania yeah. and see them and do the podcast before the show. Oh, yeah. We'll do a live. I bet or, they'd be down for that. Seriously. Let's, let's I mean, do we it. don't have a lot of listeners. We, we're like at, uh, I want to say around 500 listeners now. So, on because that's about our download rate right now. So, I, well, my mom downloads it twice. <laughs> <laughs> that I keep clicking on it over and over. I, I, you know, I, yeah. We should do this. We should do that. I need to see them again. Yeah. They're, they're good. And I need they're to see the people. new rhythm section. So. Yeah. I, you were talking about small venues and I, I know this podcast has the potential to move on and on and on with, with kind of a lot of different stuff going on. And I don't really want to get too far out of the realm, but I was uh, going to a appointment with my wife as we do every week, uh, at least one or two. <laughs> uh, we heard on the radio um, some ACDC, right? And we were listening to QFM 96, which is kind of one of the stations I listen to often. With a Q stands for quality. Yeah. Rock and roll. Classic rock. Anyway, they were saying that uh, they were going to be, uh, ACDC was going to be in town playing at the Newport. I was like, I can't be right. 2,500, uh, 2,200, something like that. Seating capacity. It's like ACDC. There's <laughs> no fucking way they're going to play in that little place, you know? And sure enough, my wife looked it up on, on the internet and that's, that's where they're, they're going to be playing the Newport in September. 
And I'm thinking to myself, how have I not heard about this? I, I don't know. It's a, it's a QFM 96 thing. I don't know that I'd be able to get a photo pass for it. Cause I'm not really shooting for anybody now. Uh, I do have some connections. I don't want to let too much out of the bag. I'm thinking about doing some illustrations of some of my past photography work that is more caricature driven type digital illustrations. But anyway, totally different thing using my own photos. I have a magazine outlet who's looking at me to put that in their book and, and put that out every month. But, um, I I shouldn't say looking at me. I've, I've worked with them before and, and stuff, but, uh, I thought, wow, Man, if I can get my camera in there, shoot, this is probably the last time I'll ever have an opportunity to see ACDC because uh, Brian Johnson's back. And in a small. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. Intimate uh, thing. Yeah. Angus. Uh, Why are they charging for tickets for that? Like I, $1,500 I a ticket I, or something? I don't know. I mean, they're going to have to make a lot of money on these tickets. It's going to sell out in like two minutes. Yeah. I mean. uh, all I can think of is maybe they really want to get back to the roots of, you know, we've sold out stadiums for years. Let's have fun in small clubs. I can't imagine seeing them in there. You know, Motley Crue was there once way back when I think they were promoting shouts to the devil, but, uh, corn, corn played there. Yeah. I seen Marilyn Manson. There was one of the greatest shows of my life. Really? Some religious experience. It was. (laughs) was. I wasn't even, I wasn't a fan. It was right for, it was when it was Marilyn Manson, the band. Yeah. They, they were the band with yeah. Marilyn Manson. You know, it wasn't when he became what he is now, but yeah. it was all the original guys, Daisy Berkowitz and, and wow. um, Chris Crabtree uh, yeah. drug me up to that show. And I was like, yeah, man, I'll check it out. And I'd only heard like, get your gun. And I think sweet dreams. And I thought yeah. Yeah, it might be cool. And it was unreal. I never, it, it, to this day, it's one of the top five live experiences ever. It was it was a religious yeah, experience. He's, he's it was wild. it was unbelievable, and and just the impact of the music and the stage show, and it set the bar very high. Hmm. Well, we are slamming doors outside my studio right now. Uh, my wife and sister in law are home. Are they fighting? No, oh. they they are. They went shopping. I feel like I should pay my sister-in-law for taking my wife shopping. (laughs) So if you're in your door slamming, dog running around, crying, tapping his feet, I'm not going to even attempt to try to edit that out. So is there a, 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 is there an equivalent to, um, you know, paintings when it comes to, you know, a lot of bands, like I know Metallica, sometimes if they're trying out new material, they like to go unannounced and show up and play at a club. Prince was famous for yeah. for uh, going and doing that because of the uh, the arena um, kind of situation took something away and they yeah. wanted to play these, these bars. Is there a, uh, I mean, how do you do, if you're a successful painter, you know, how do you do something that, you know, makes you gives you that connection or gives you that feeling of when you first started again. You know, I use a- Patreon. <laughs> I, I laugh at that, but, uh, I think all artists have their, their tight knit of patrons and whether, you know, obviously today we have that electronic version of patrons where you can get on Patreon and start a page. But, uh, I think the equivalent would be you have your small group of people you have, you might do a show that is, you know, an open studio 
Uh, obviously, I can't get very many people in this little space, but I could probably, I don't know, turn my garage into a gallery and just have a, a impromptu open studio thing where people can come in the house and look at the studio where I work, go in the gallery uh, that I create in the garage and uh, make it a place where we could just, you know, burgers and beer, maybe some wine, some stuff, fun stuff, and just right. kind of see what I do, what what's new. Um, I, I've not thought about that out here. I would love to do that out here. It'd be fun. I got plenty of parking space for that. But uh, I think a lot of artists over the years have done similar things. I know you could walk, uh, if you were a normal patron of, or a regular patron of uh, like Picasso, you could go to his his place there where he was at, and uh, he had a salon there, and you'd walk in. It's a salon meaning a large living room where you could view work and hobnob with other collectors, and you know grab a glass of wine or something, and, and all that. But maybe that's how that was done. I don't know. I to me, that's I would love that. I would love to have a place where I was there every day. Get out of the shower, get cleaned up, walk into my studio, and there's already people in my salon talking about my work and what's new. Right. And, you know, uh, I don't know that I'll ever see that. But yeah, see, I get that every live show. You know, it's different yeah. for a live musician. That connection to the, um, that connection to, I don't even, you know, fans, I just kind of, sometimes that just seems like a dirty word to me. Yeah, but, yeah it but, does. But the connection of people who, who love and like your music and that, are enjoying it in the moment if they've never heard from you, yeah. or if, if, if they've never heard you before, you know, that's so important. And you can see a band like ACDC or, or Prince or some of these people mm-hmm. wanting to get, you know, that they, they want to close, close, close up that circuit. Yeah. Make, get that connection back yep. that they're losing in the arena. You, you could see that kind of being a, a creativity drain, maybe. You know, you're, yeah. you're so separated. It's a job. You're so separated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're just doing a job at that one city, getting your pay, moving to the next city. Live performance is all about the give and take. If yeah. it's, uh, a lot of times, I guess, yeah. you know, not always, but I, I know for, uh, I feed off of, I feed off of audience reaction, whether it's, it's positive or yeah. negative, as long yeah. as it's a reaction and you feed off that. So, yeah, it, I, I gotta say too, in the, in the fine art world, when you have a gallery show, it's, it's an intimate thing anyway. Uh, I don't, even the bigger ones, I don't think you really ever see more than a few hundred people. Really? Um, yeah, I mean, you're not going to do like an arena show <laughs> with, right. with art, but, um, it, it is a very intimate thing. It's a local thing. It's, you know, people are going to have to go to that one space. I, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of any artists who travel and do a traveling show. I just can't think. It's actually kind of a neat concept when yeah. you think about like a tour. Uh, never really given any thought, but um, yeah, I, th- I think that's where it's really, there's a difference there in music. Uh, music is a performance. To me, it's a performance thing where people, wherever you're going, there's, there's a new, a new clientele that comes in and says, Oh, I want to check this band out. I've read about them and I've seen them online and you know, they're coming to town the promoter right. is is uh, hopefully done his job and uh, made it so that it would be better um, for the for the fine art world. I, I just don't know that that would work. It might. 
Uh, I've known a few photographers to do the tour bus thing and do workshops, but I don't know about doing shows. I would love to do shows like that. If I could, if I could tour the country and say, here's some paintings I did getting here, (laughs) right? They're all still wet. You can buy them as they are for this much money. Um, it does kind of bring the rock star effect into the art world, which is kind of fun. I, I wish I could really shake the art world up. I would love to have a show in a highfalutin place. <laughs> you know, just a just a really, really conservative uh, gallery space, you know, where it's where, you, you know, you got your your fine wine and your you know, other stuff that you're used to seeing. I would love to have a show where it's my digital illustrations, my paintings, maybe some uh, some of these heavy metal things that I'm wanting to do with my work, uh, heavy metal subject matter, and literally have heavy metal music in the background, kind of be a dark place for <laughs> for for right. metal. Uh, I this is where it's hard for me as an artist, and I, and I know there's other artists listening who who have this struggle that you have something you really want to do, but you know it's going to make all of your existing clients go what the fuck, you know? And I want to get out there and I want to put stuff out there. That's not, I don't want to decorate your living room. You know, I want to do the kind of art that that speaks to someone and goes, yeah, that's cool. Man. I just want that. I want that for my, my man cave. Right. I want that for my, my studio space. I want Ozzy Osbourne to come to me and say, Sharon, I gotta have that piece right there. I gotta have it. You know, apologies to everybody who speaks the Queen's English, but um, <laughs> I, I want that. I want people to be excited about my work, where it's it's something they they want it, and I identify better with heavy metal crowds than I do with the other crowd that I probably would spend more time with if I continued down the route that I am right now with the kind of artwork that I'm doing. I don't know. I, I have a good job that pays. <laughs> Maybe I should just start painting what I think would work and say, screw it. And if people don't like it, who cares? That's, I don't I mean, know. That's what it's all about, man. It, it is. It is. But you know, I still want to sell stuff. I just don't know if I can sell it. That's tough. It so, is tough. you know, and I think that's every dilemma every artist has. And that, that leads to sell out. So am I, I'm going to ask, Am I selling out by only painting work that I know sells versus what is inside of me dying to get out? I think you answered your own question. Yeah, I think so. After this episode's over, Mike is going to jump into an oil painting of, uh, I don't know, Ronnie James Dio sticking his fingers up in the air and telling people to stand up and shout. (laughs) Stand up and shout. (laughs) I don't know. I, I just, uh, I think there's a lot out there. I don't, I don't even know how to, you got to do what's in your heart. And if, if you're if you have to do stuff to put food in your mouth, there's nothing wrong with that. But you, if you do that at the expense of doing what you really want to do, yeah. it's not going to work. Both, yeah. you, both art is going to suffer. I totally agree. Totally agree with that. I can make money playing in a cover band, but it's not in my heart. And if I spent all my time doing that and didn't have time to create what I wanted to, it just wouldn't work yeah, for me. Man, but absolutely. there's a lot of guys that can do that and that's great. And there's nothing wrong with it. And that's, that's a whole separate art and talent in itself. But for me, I can't, I can't do that. 
I've been told all my life that if I would just, you know, learn to play country and (laughs) I could make a lot lot of money on the weekends and I just, I don't have the desire nor the ability and it's just not, yeah, it's not your art. I would rather uh, break rocks for a living than, than punch a clock doing that. So that's just me though. Yeah. Well, you might see another side of Michael Worth. I don't know. I'd like to. It's, it's coming. I've got some things in the works. I don't know. If, if it offends people, then, you know, it is what it is. Uh, if I, it's I, in your heart and you got to get it out, you got to get it out or you're not being true to yourself. Yeah. And that's what selling out is. Yes. Doesn't mean you can't do other yeah. things. Doesn't mean you can't, can't do things that uh, pay the bills, but you have to make time for what you want to do or it's just not worth it. That is true. And I think that's a good place to end this conversation, this, uh, this podcast, this show. I hope you got something out of the printing and reproductions comments. Um, if you're listening and you are an artist who wants to do that sort of thing. Um, we, we talked about a lot of different things today in, in this uh, particular podcast. I would love to know your thoughts on it. Send me an email at the studio at michaelworth.com. Uh, I'll keep everything private. I won't use your names. I won't, uh, won't throw you under the bus. I'd love to know what you think about it. I actually, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Worth Studios and uh, Paul. MGFlash.com. MGFlash.com. Track me down my various things from there. But. All right. And Twitter. Twitter. You got a Twitter? <laughs> you do have a Twitter. You can actually find us on our podcast. And you can. There's a link there for your yeah, Twitter. Twitter. I just use Twitter as my, you know, talking about uh, pseudonyms. That's my I'm a different person on Twitter than I am on all other social media. <laughs> yeah. So nothing wrong with that. No. Nothing wrong with that. I'm I'm at Michael Worth. Mine's at Paul V. Ramey. Paul V. Ramey. And it's Ramey R E M Y. Ramey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because people say that wrong too. I get that. It might be Paul Paul V. Ramey Jr. But I don't know. I don't it's think not. So. It's not just Paul, it's, Paul yes. V. Ramey. Yeah. yeah. And, and all walks of art dot simplecast dot fm will actually get you to our podcast on the internet so that you can awesome. you can find it there and, and there's links there for all of our different things but um i'm glad you listened this is a long podcast we're about an hour and 30 minutes into oh, it really? yeah we are the the beer is uh is uh making us a little bit more yeah. lubricated well, than cool. usual i don't know maybe it maybe it is maybe it's i not. hope you guys enjoyed it and then uh uh, hope we didn't bore you. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's We're a just lot of talking here. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of lot of complicated conversation about art and creativity. And if you dig the show, uh, give it a give it a like. Give it us give us a positive comment. If you don't like the show, give us a negative comment. Yeah, that's cool. I really don't care. I need the the negative is good too, because uh, I don't look at it as being negative. I think it's constructive. Unless you're just a total dick and you want to put something on there. That that's says, as long as it's witty. As long as it's witty and thought out, I don't care. But just don't go for the low-hanging fruit that, yeah, like, where I yeah, can't talk yeah. or pronounce words. Yeah, don't make, me, don't make me question why you listen to the whole fucking podcast. If you're going to tell me it sucked, man, it's terrible. Yeah. Why? Why? You guys talk like that. So, I don't know. This, this has the potential to really, really get bad. I, I just talk. I'm a talker. <laughs> I know anybody listening or thinking, you know, anybody who are listening, that's not right. Yeah, see, but our English, we're going to get a lot of English yeah. comments. I have no freaking grammar skills. Anyway, I'm going to take a drink and wish all of you happy National Beer Day. I'm signing off. Paul, it's great to have you back. Great to be back. I can't believe we waited this long to do another podcast. We Sorry for everybody who uh, who missed us last 
two weeks ago. Yeah, you're so, getting an extra half hour just for you. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> you lie. We just did this because we got too much to talk about. See what happens. All right, I'm dragging out, dragging out, dragging out. So if Dave, Dave Ellison, if you're listening, I'll, I'll be happy to do that painting that you talked about that one time at band camp. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and uh, Brian Johnson, if you're listening, I'll see you in September. That's all I got. I'm going to go before somebody just calls me out as being an idiot. <laughs> Later. See you.